I always feel like um do you know when you like talk about like women like empower women in politics I always just hear like do the Shania Twain song being like let's go girls get in there perform and deliver respect Laskian Corda it will be one sentence and I am responding what a load of spin and nonsense he has only challenged my personality and pointed out my gender and cop on a small bit Taoiseach Welcome to the Polling Station podcast with Neve and Amy, where each week we try to make politics a little easier to grasp. And this week we are celebrating all things gal power in politics because it is International Women's Day. <laughs> Yay for women, <laughs> <And> gals. <laughs> so International Women's Day obviously had to do an episode on all our women in politics, women in power, because... It's not easy and we just want to do a deep dive kind of into the history I guess of women in politics and what it is like being a woman in politics. Do gender quotas work? Is that something that we should explore more as we go forward to get more women in politics? We're going to be looking at other countries, what they are like with their representation of women in politics and yeah just talking about all the fab women that there are in politics doing it for Doing it for everyone. Doing it for everyone. And like, we're two young girls. We're both in our 20s talking about politics. It would seem almost, it would seem odd if we didn't do something like this, especially with International Women's Day on March the 8th every year. So this one is, well, I mean, it's for everyone to listen to, but it's to highlight, as Amy said, the incredible women who are trailblazing the way for women for women in politics. Yeah. So Neve, what is like International Women's Day? International Women's Day, it's a global celebration of women in terms of celebrating social, economic, cultural and political achievements of women. Um, it also kind of calls for a day just to see we are, where we are in terms of achieving gender equality and gender parity. And, you know, it, it's to raise awareness for women's equality, lobby for acceleration gender equality and also to fundraise for female focused charities. So it comes around every year, March the 8th, and it's for women across the world. And it's just a focus that sometimes it's not always done, but just to highlight what women have done in every year in each sector across society. And I we love it. We do love we love to see it. And I suppose as well because this is a political based podcast. I say we would we are going to be primarily looking at women based in Irish politics and global politics as well. So I think that's where we'll be starting is looking at Ireland and women in politics. And I think it's just anyone who has an interest in with Irish and. Uh, in Irish politics know that women are highly underrepresented in Irish politics you know yeah Ireland is currently ranked 92nd in the world's classification table for women representation in parliament yeah so that was and that was in 2020 it's not been updated to reflect 2021 but as we know we had our general election last year so it is the same now Mm. which is crazy when you think about it it's crazy because when you look at the time when Mary Robinson was uh, elected as president of Ireland we were ranked 37th the world so we've actually worsened as we move into the as we moved into the 21st century we are getting worse um and it's I think it's representative of what we have at the moment you know only 22 of the doll seats are represented by women the Shannon is better with 40 percent but then when you branch out to county councils it's even it's it's more grim quite frankly so basically i think when we look at the irish picture 
of equal gender representation it's not it's not where it should be you know we still have yet to have yes we've had a female Tana show with you know Joan Burton and Francis Fitzgerald but we haven't had a female Taoiseach we haven't had a female Minister for Finance uh, Minister for Foreign Affairs they've all been held by men Minister for Justice has only been held twice by two Fine Gael um, female TDs we kind of noticed that a lot of the ministerial cabinet positions in Martina Fitzgerald's book, Madam Politician, it was highlighted that cabinet positions that are sort of care-based, so you're looking at education, social protection, they're, they primarily go to women, even if you look at it now. Yeah. Heather Humphreys is Minister for Social Protection. Norma Foley is education. Catherine Martin is um, culture. Yeah. Catherine Zappone was Minister for Children. I think, yeah. you know, there's just women are not given say more I don't know obviously every cabinet position is quite hard but maybe the ones with the tougher I don't want to say t- but the or mo- like the traditionally considered tougher ones where you go out and you're, you're the heavyweight and you come out and have the big speech every kind of year in the budget or you know very heavy kind of diplomat it's like oh no women are in politics but you are still going to be kind of confined to traditional female characteristics in politics which is like insane it's mad it is insane and i think what we're looking at is ireland is not really progressing where we should be you think you would think that you know when mary robinson was elected this is a great start and then we had mary McAleese, you know mm-hmm. who was who was elected on two terms which was fantastic yeah. but we have gotten worse every time gender quotas were brought in the first general election they were brought in was 2016 and we have yeah. not increased since then we increased one seat in terms of num- numerically but other than that, I think we're looking at it. Enough is not being done. You know, I think the only party that has out that has more female elected uh, TDs than men is the Social Democrats, where they have four elected female TDs and two male. But they're a small party. The bigger parties do not represent that. Don't have them. And I think it's even important to remember, like when we brought in like the gender quotas, that's not about women getting elected. That's just them being put forward for election. And it's only 30%. And in like our last election, so the 2021, like the big parties, so the big three, Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil, Sinn Féin, they just met it. Like Fine Gael just met the 30, Fianna Fáil was 31, Sinn Féin was 33. And it's nearly like, are some people just taking it as like a tick the box? That like, oh, we will get it to that gender quota and then we'll do the bare minimum. I think it is in a way because I think you have to, it's, I think a lot of it comes down to candidate selection. And I suppose when you're looking at candidate selection, a lot of it, the research shows that it's, you know, candidates are selected from county councils is a huge part of it. And I think one of the huge issues of gender disparity in Irish politics, it looks at the county councils. Now, if you look at county councils like Dublin City Council and Dunleary Rathdown, we're basically a 50-50, which is brilliant. That's mm-hmm. fantastic. When you move out to commuter towns such as Meath and Kildare, we're at about 40% women, six, which is good. Also good to see. But it's when you move out to the more rural areas, this is the issue where we're having, you know, there's one female county councillor on Offaly County Council, uh, which and then when you move out to the likes of Donegal, Sligo, Leitrim, you're looking at maybe three or four women um, on a council that could be of 18. Donegal has 37 sitting councillors, but only three or four women. And I think the reason why we have so little women, should I say, is there's a lot of these barriers that are set up to yeah. prevent women. And while gender quotas are great to bring in women, there are unfortunately other other barriers that prevent women. Some of the biggest barriers I think a lot of academics attribute it to the five C's. So cash, childcare, confidence, 
culture and as I said earlier candidate selection you know so mm-hmm. parties have to go if you're going looking for candidates and you don't have enough well-known women whether it's on county councils or within the parish itself you have to go looking yeah cash as well is a huge thing I suppose childcare is the biggest barrier for women you know absolutely yeah and even just like that you're like getting you might start out and then the childcare issue comes up and then you might just not be able to engage in political life the way you want because Sure, this year, Helen McAteer, Minister for Justice, like we said, she is the first minister to actually have, Is she's expecting a baby currently, to actually have a child with a job. So there we go again, childcare is just something that's not addressed. It, it's just not looked at in a way. I think the re, if you're a young woman who wants to get in, it, it's going to be very hard. Like I think one of the most... Um, one of the most shocking cases was when uh, Fianna Fáil TD, Neve Smith, when she had her child, she was forced to go to HR with a six search in order to get time off, which is just... In this day and age, like, how, how is that allowed? And she was first elected in 2016 and she was re-elected in 2020. So within that time frame, she had to request HR for sick leave in order. And I think as well, we're ho- hopefully with Helen McEntee, we'll see some some change but you just can't guarantee it there's so many other like structures and I think as well the doll sits at any hours during the day there's no you could sit late at night and I think it's harder it goes back to why I think rural areas have such low seats in county councils and that for women and then it's not seen in doll representation is because if you're a rural TD and you have to travel up to Dublin and you have a young child to look after that's incredibly hard so difficult there's been a lot of women who have spoken about it um, I remember I once spoke to a Fianna Fáil councillor, Lisa MacDonald. She was previously a Fianna Fáil senator and she always said that drive, the drive from Wexford to Dublin was always very hard and you're always going to miss your children. Absolutely. And, and then when you get home to be with your children, you're after doing a long day, a long drive, you're absolutely floored. And this is where the cash comes in because you need the cash to provide to provide the childcare, you know, or unless you're looking at unpaid childcare, as in, and what I mean by unpaid childcare, I mean like a relative, exactly, a family. You could have, you know, a sister or a brother or a mother or a father who will step in and look after the child. So I suppose when we look at one of the, like childcare, it's a huge issue and it just... Absolutely. And like, even like in March 2020, the Irish Human Rights and Equality Commission recommended a citizen assembly to have significant state action, literally to break down these gender barriers that you're talking about, Neve, and those big five C's there. Because there just isn't, like, we just have this, like, system built up that is not taking into consideration the unique needs of women and kind of, like, their place in society. And how can you expect women to be, like, fairly engaged and be able to be on the same level as their, like, male counterparts when all these structures exist literally to make that more and more difficult for them exactly it's just like something needs to be done i suppose one of the main issues that it was raised by fina gale td jennifer carl mcneil was remote voter proxy voting basically this we need constitutional change for this but not also with this help women in terms of you know when they need to take a few weeks off obviously each woman will decide what is best for her no not every woman is going to take the six months off that you would if you were maybe in a in a corp if you were working in a corporate capacity some other women might take only a month or two off because each woman will be different in what suits best for them and their family but it also helps 
uh, you know, she went on to say in the, when you're in a pandemic, the doll is not always going to have a full doll sitting. You need to have social distancing in place and so on. It also helps in terms of, for example, if you have, a, a say, a long term illness or something like that, that might prevent you from getting in some days. You can do. And if you're still a sitting, t- you know, TD and you want to keep your seat and you don't want to give up that seat, there are benefits for everyone. Exactly. But it's just. Yeah. She states now Jennifer Carl McNeil has a very impressive CV. She's a huge background in law, PhD, very impressive. She said that this requires constitutional change, and to do that, that will take a while. And then that goes back to like the Citizens Assembly to actually get that Citizens Assembly there to push that constitutional change. And they were even talking about like one of their, they made 32 recommendations in total. Again, a lot of recommendations, a lot of stuff to be tackled there. But that included Article 41.2 of the Constitution, which is on the role of women. And that actually should be amended to recognise and support care work and make it gender neutral. Like you said there, like this is going to benefit everybody. This is going to benefit those TDs like who are fathers or who are, are on like, ad- like have adopted kids and they want adoption leave and like all stuff like this. This is going to make it gender neutral, get everybody on the same level and include a reference to the family life to be... Um, amended and recognised the broader concept of family again like bringing back to like what a family might mean nowadays and it's just like making political life more accessible for everyone by making it accessible for women exactly exactly so we look we have we've addressed childcare. we have the rural issue there's also the issue of kind of a huge issue a lot of if you look at the, a lot of women in politicians not all of them now but I suppose you know there is a Women who were elected, I suppose, in the late 20th century, you look at Sheila De, De Valera, Maura Gagan Quinn, they came in on the foot of their male mm-hmm. relatives. That's how they got in. And it's, a lot of yes. that is still, you know, it's still in place today, whether people want to believe it or not. Norma Foley, her father was a former Fianna Fáil TD. Neve Smith, her her grand uncle was a, a Fianna Fáil TD, longest serving TD mm-hmm. in the history of the state. Helen McEntee, her father was a Fianna Gael TD as well. So, Name weight is a huge thing. And if you're a young woman who just wants to get in politics, you want to make, you know, policy change and or for whatever reason you want to get into politics, but you don't have a family political name, that's another barrier, especially, I suppose, maybe in rural areas as well that you're looking at, you know, because... Absolutely, yeah. Community is everything, you know, and... You even see see it with, you know, male TDs like Simon Coveney's dad was a former TD. You look at, you know, the Healy Rays, their dad, Jackie Healy Ray. Like, it's all to do. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. It's all. To, and like you're saying, like politics, Irish politics in general is cash for that. It's a, your family who you know that thing. And then that's further exasperated when you're a woman where your barriers to get in are just like higher and higher that one of the only avenues maybe for you to get in is through your family. Exactly. And I think that is changing. You know, we are seeing a lot of new TDs who don't have family connections, uh, who want to get into politics. But it's just, there's not enough. And I think this comes down to candidate selection, maybe looking for women who aren't well known because of other relatives. It is just trying to see other candidates that can offer something new who maybe are who are completely new to the political four there's still a lot to be done in the irish concept but i suppose gender quotas are are one of the tools and i suppose for anyone who doesn't know what they are gender quotas is where every political party no matter what size of the party must run at least 30 percent. and if you don't you receive a financial penalty for the political party and like that's what gender quotas are like specifically in ireland but they look different from like country to country but as a basic principle they're just that you have to have a certain percentage of women represented in your political party either up for election or like in parliament which seems like parties would do that naturally but evidently has not not been 
So here we are. Here, like the, the fact that there is a need for them points to the fact that they do not happen naturally. Exactly, exactly. And I think, you know, there's a lot of misconceptions with gender quotas. Like some people think, oh, that woman is not getting in on her merit or she's just getting getting in because she's she's a, she's a statistic. We need to fail or a quotient we need to fill. And that merit argument is a really, really interesting one that people are like. And I think it's a lot of what they point back to in general for like gender quotas across business music x y and z and i always think it's a really interesting one because what our merit what your merit is based on is in a structure that is facilitates white cisgender men for achieving so their merit naturally is going to be higher because they're able to progress higher in it so it's all the one always one of those ones i find like a really interesting one because it is always brought up time and time again but it kind of the i feel the merit argument it ignores the like informal practices and the norms and all that surrounding what gives somebody merit in this in like that kind of system i i remember speaking to senator annie hoey from labor and she said look there's been plenty of mediocre men and she said i can't wait the day until we get to having mediocre men and women who are running there it is and look there will be some and it's not just men who are opposed to gender quotas there are some women as well you know um, you know, Fianna Fáil, former Fianna Fáil TD, Mary O'Rourke was an issue, like very much against them to begin with. And look, it's it's great, great if you can get elected without gender quotas. That is brilliant. More power Work. to you. But it's unfortunately, it's just the structural, the, the structures that are in place to get women elected, it's very difficult. And gender quota is just limited time that hopefully will have these. Like no one wants gender quotas forever. Everyone just wants women to naturally run. Abs- and like there is that, like even like lots of women in politics talk about like the imposter syndrome of being like, am I here to fill a quota? Am I here to tick a box? And like a lot of people point to like quotas are in just in their nature of like having a tick the box undemocratic because voters should be able to elect who they want. But like you said, Neve, we need to work to a day where this is going to naturally happen. And if there if the system that we have now doesn't let that naturally happen, we steps need to be taken to to get that going. Yeah. So at the moment in Ireland, it's thirty percent. Um. For the next general election, it will be 40%, which is good, you know, and parties will have to run that 40%. Um, and of course, when you run 40% women, it doesn't mean that women will be elected. No. It just means you have... 40%, there's going to be 40% of the people out there with their faces are going to be women. And that's going to be huge. That's just unreal to see. Like, I think everyone, when they see women running, it goes back to that Mary Robinson quote, first female president of Ireland. And she just gave that fantastic quote. I'm going to play it now. I was elected by men and women of all parties and none, by many with great moral courage who stepped out from the faded flags of the Civil War and voted for a new Ireland and above all by the women of Ireland. Manon Aheron. <laughs> the women of Ireland. Manon Aheron who instead of rocking the cradle, rocked the system. <laughs> and I think, I just, like, it's just, it shivers. An icon. <laughs> yeah, it is it's iconic. iconic. And just hearing that as a woman, you just, and it's, I don't think people can underestimate the power of like, even like you said, like it doesn't mean that they're going to be elected, but they are going to have the opportunity to, you're going to see their faces on those posters. You're going to see them like out campaigning and just having that like socially and culturally what that does. Huge. Can't put it, can't, you can't like, it's just massive. You can't quantify it. 
No, exactly. And it's just, you know, it, the it's in place, as I said earlier, to eventually that we yeah. don't need it. That's the whole, it's just so parishes will just automatically be thinking we need to be representing. And then maybe this will come forward to maybe not just representing gender, but re- representing, you know, that we have people of colour in, in Ireland anyway. You know, that it's not just... Like, I think people look at Irish politics and it's white men, predominantly. It's very... Ivana Batchett called it in t- the early 2000s pale male stale and Fianna Fáil. That's what yeah. Irish politics was for a very yeah. long time. And we're seeing a change and but it needs to change. It's unfortunate that we have to put these structures in for it to change. Absolutely. And I think as well a lot of leading academics and researchers are saying that we not only these quotas need to be in at national level but at county council level to kind of eliminate the huge disparity of women in at local level that more women are getting involved in politics at a local level and again we'll see more women which is just great but it's, Ireland's not the only one with gender quotas like we've seen it all over the world and I suppose one of the most well known is Rwanda who had a great success super successful like they were they're like fifth in the world for gender equality now and in 2019 62% of Rwanda's national legislature was women which is far more than any other country and this like really happened as part of Rwanda's recovery from their post-genocide period and um, if anyone's not familiar with Rwanda's history there was a terrible genocide that uh, went on there and it's just absolutely horrific but as part of their recovery for that a new constitution was written and it was ratified in 2003 and this gave them the opportunity to put in these measures put in these progressive gender quota measures which says that women should not hold any less than 30% of the political seats. And it has just been just completely transformative for the country. And I think that's just a prime example that countries, countries who do not have equal representation and who are sceptical of gender quotas, I think that's what we need to be striving for. It's like, it's the perfect, it's a good mould to look at because this is what we are hoping to get that when you look at the doll and uh, it's, you can see it's reflective of society. 50% of the world's population are women and that needs to be represented in the people who we send to run the country. And it's not, as I said earlier, it's not just for women, it's for race, sexuality, all different things. Everyone needs to be represented. So, and that's what we're not seeing. Mm -hmm. Like each intersection of, you know, society, be it women, people of colour, sexual orientations, gender expression all have their unique needs that need to be, you know, talked about in Parliament and legislated for. And if you're not in the room, it, it can't happen. And that's really what these gender quotas are. And that's what Rwanda has done so successfully that, um, you know, like they're able to get these women in the room and that they have actually developed like the Rwandans Women Parliamentary Forum, which is like a cross-party women's caucus where like all the women here and they get and they talk about all the issues that are kind of affecting them on a cross-party basis which again is stunning and we love to see that cross-party communication where we're talking about women from all different backgrounds everybody's getting together and talking about like what are their different needs love it and is it just Rwanda Amy now that has that has achieved this with gender quotas are there there any other countries who are kind of striving towards the same sort of gender equal representation so Mexico is another one that is doing absolutely fantastic in gender representation that their lower house so what they would be their doll is 49% women and their senate which would be their Shannon is 51% women and the mayor of Mexico City is a woman and this is unbelievable because when you put all this together that brings the overall gender balance absolutely equal to 50 50 amazing amazing look at that and they're ranked fourth in the world for 
uh, representation of women like in the legislative so when they talk about the legislative that means like the whole spectrum of political life so from you know local level all the way up to like the upper house which is just amazing that's amazing so good it is amazing and the more women you have elected means we'll have a greater chance of having you know a a women a a female leader of government you know because at the current rate we're just there's there have not been many female you know heads of head of governments no, and I think, Neve, it's it goes back as well to what you were saying, like, there needs to be, um, like, that constitutional element where it's, like, embedded in it, because that's exactly, it's what Rwanda did, and it's what Mexico did, that they amended their constitution, to have, to require that um, gender kind of balance between their party candidates, which is amazing, and it is, I think, what, like, more countries have to do going forward and what we should definitely take a look at doing because when you're looking at like 13 countries who only have a, have a head of government it's very bleak. it's very bleak you know and I, it's just trying to change that and like you said I suppose it's the constitutional efforts but I suppose it's culturally in some countries Ireland very much included we have to change that mindset you know that women can lead and women can do it effectively and efficiently i think as well it's important to, to like be like jumping the full way back to what we said when we look at ireland the ministerial positions women have had is like classically feminine things that also women can lead with feminine characteristics and they don't need to conform to what people presume or what a lot of people expect to be like the natural political macho-ness going out have to be like grr, 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 kind of thing no women can lead by virtue of being a woman and not compromising what their womanhood means to them yeah like if you look at covid i think we've seen like how some certain female leaders have really stood out i suppose like the obvious one goes without saying is new zealand's prime minister jacinda Ardern, and you know she's one of the very few women who have had their baby during their time in leadership and she's brought that baby in and then like like you said amy she's not she's not compromising anything in the sense that no she she wanted to have a child with her partner she has her child and she's not giving up her position of power and she has run new zealand very effectively won a landslide election again you know in 2020 new zealand are doing exceptionally well in terms of covid with their zero covid strategy you know she's been a leader in terms of you know taking a pay dock as well in solidarity with a lot of you know members of society who've had to shut their businesses because of covid so i think she has shown real leadership as well and i think that's the type of you know female leader that people look at that she hasn't compromised who she is as, as a woman she's actually used that as a leader to better herself and for herself to you know better the country as you know how she politically sees it absolutely be. and it's just that like that she is a woman in what her definition of woman is having her baby because she wanted to and you know like putting those structures there that other women in politics in New Zealand will be able to follow suit and that's going to be like a realistic goal for them where they won't be like oh my god I'm just so stressed trying to balance everything that like those supports are going to be there for them to do it and like when you look at like that and how successful New Zealand has been in COVID flip it and reverse it to ourselves where there's not even a woman sitting on the COVID committee in Ireland the Oireachtas COVID committee that is making all the decisions you know that contrast and like you can see it in what you know all the things like the rigmarole that's gone on about childcare here and like how a lot of people have been women working from home have been finding it so difficult to balance all that. Neffet as well is primarily men if not all men and you know you're looking at female healthcare workers whether you're a doctor a nurse whatever capacity of healthcare you're working in or frontline and you have to consider you know it's just these issues that when you have women in place but 
you know, you think of things such as childcare, but that also like the triple effect, it, it helps men as well. Men who have young kids, it helps them. So it's, it's helping everyone. It's just culturally women are seen as the main caregivers. So this is why childcare appears to be more of an issue. But as you said, Amy earlier, the dynamics of what was the so-called traditional family is completely Mm -hmm. changed now. And it is, it's just making something making political life more accessible for everybody and that's really what we should all be striving to do and you know there's so many amazing women out there in politics that are flying that flag they're striving as well for other women to get that representation fighting for equal playing fields for you know women for women of color for transgender women everything like that and that is just so important to get all the full spectrum of what a woman is represented within political life do you have any outstanding moments because we've seen like of women you know i suppose when we look at the landscape of women in politics there are some moments where you were like wow and I, i remember one is the former australian prime minister was being challenged by her opposition leader with regards to sexism and he had had issues with it as such and this is what she had to say. So doing, I say to the leader of the opposition, I will not be lectured about sexism and misogyny by this man. I will not. And the government will not be lectured about sexism and misogyny by this man. Not now, not ever. The Leader of the Opposition says that people who hold sexist views and who are misogynists are not appropriate for high office. Well, I hope the Leader of the Opposition has got a piece of paper and he is writing out his resignation. Because if he wants to know what misogyny looks like in modern Australia, he doesn't need a motion in the House of Representatives. He needs a mirror. That's what he needs. Let's go through. So there we are. That's former Australian Prime Minister Julia Gillard. And I think that moment has become very indicative of her career. And I think it tends to follow her because it was such, it was very much one of the standout moments of her career. So what about you, Amy? Do you have any other standout political moments by some female politicians, whether it's nationally or globally? So one of the most iconic ones, which I'm sure loads of people are familiar with, if you were on Twitter at the time, AOC, Alexandria Cortez, Congresswoman for the 14th District of New York, Bronx and Queens. She had a stunning clapback when um, Florida representative was chatting to a Texas representative on the steps and they called her a fucking bitch. And this is what she had to say about that. Representative Yoho put his finger in my face. He called me disgusting. He called me crazy. He called me out of my mind. Um, and he called me dangerous. In front of reporters, Representative Yoho called me, and I quote, a fucking bitch. These are the words that Representative Yoho levied against a congresswoman. The congresswoman that not only represents New York's 14th congressional district, but every congresswoman and every woman in this country. Because all of us have had to deal with this in some form, some way, some shape, at some point in our lives. Like, that's just, it's just become, I think if everyone who's on TikTok has seen it, it's just become the most viral sensation. And it's what, I just thought she stood you know she came back to it so well and I think you know when he said I have daughters I have a wife she said you know when she said that that does not make you a good man I think that's what people use that shield if they make 
if they make a comment, a derogative comment towards women, they like to say, oh, well, I'm a husband. I'm a father to daughters. That does not make you a good man in the sense, not that it doesn't make you a good man. It doesn't make you automatically respect women. And that's what it comes down to. He doesn't respect, while they have completely, they're on definitely completely political spectrums. They do not, he does not respect what she is Absolutely. doing. And therefore she has lost respect for him. And it's literally this like, does he not have respect for she is doing by virtue of the fact that she is a woman? Like we're all going to have our different ideological stuff and that's politics. Listen, that's the tea. But because you're a woman, and it's like you said, Neve, like just because you are a husband, a brother, all those things, it doesn't automatically make you respect women. And I think every woman has had that experience where someone has called her just so many derogatory words. I could go into like everyone's had it. Like literally, some lad has come up to you in a nightclub and you haven't given it, you kind of just politely brushed him off and he's called you a fucking bitch. Like everyone has had that experience or some variation of it. And I think. So many women could relate to her in that moment where it's like, no, I'm calling you out on this because this is just not on. We we love to see it. You know, she's a young woman, woman of colour, and she it's she will she's already marginalised because of the societal structures that are in place. And now she has her gender Absolutely. as well. So it's just and she has you know, she's fighting that bit harder that a white straight man such as you know, Ted uh, Ted Yoho does not have to face and that's not, you know, it's not berating him for his, you know, the colour of his skin or his sexuality or anything like that. It's just what society has in place. And that's just, they are yeah. just facts. It's calling out, you know, it's like that she called out that when she saw it. And that can be hard to do. That can be really hard to do. And it's just calling it out when you hear that, when you hear it said about you or any other woman. And every every woman knows how scary that is. And, you know, whether you agree with her politics or not, I think for that moment, you could be like, girl, get it, get it. Well, as we move forward from International Women's Day, I suppose who, and we look forward to like, we see more women getting into politics, which is fantastic. And I suppose when we look at who's coming down the line and who has been newly elected, like who are your kind of ones to watch in terms of female politicians, whether it's nationally or glo- globally, you know, why don't we take one Irish woman and one woman on a on the international stage? So my Irish woman, and I don't know, is she like, she's not newly elected. She's been around for a while, but I just feel like she has for years and years just like stood up, not only for the rights of women, but for, you know, the rights of just so many other sectors of society. My uh, shout out goes to Catherine Conley. So uh, she's currently the last Kian Corla in the doll. And she's had so many even stunning clapbacks at that when she's kind of seen that kind of, you know, man coming down the road talking over her. And yes, yeah, she's been around for a while. I don't think she's gotten like that kind of viral popularity that's maybe some other um, female politicians especially have had. Uh, I think she's fab. I think she's been fab for years. And I'm so excited to, you know, with her last Cancola platform to kind of continue being a great voice for us, for women in Ireland. So who would your um, national one be, Eve? I suppose my one to watch is not an obvious one. I suppose this goes without saying that we there are very obvious female politicians across the Oireachtas who have been fantastic, you know, in terms of bringing that different voice and showing women in a different, in a role of leadership. If you look at government TDs, I suppose you do have, Hella McEntee has been, 
a huge voice in the Minister mm-hmm. for Justice. Whether you agree with her politically or not, she has become, I suppose, much more well-known on a national scale and has a very high approval rating within her own party, at least. Again, Mary Lou MacDonald, whether you agree with her political alignment or not, she's out there. She is the leader of the opposition party. And, you know, she is in a really, really strong leadership position. She's gone up. She was debating with the big boys, Leo and Michal, in the last general election. Again, she's out there. She is representing women. Yeah, you of course have the other co-leaders of the Social Democrats, Roisin Shortall and Catherine Murphy. You know, Holly Carnes is very, she's made huge waves within her first, within the first year of her of her being elected and she's been fantastic. Mm-hmm. Then I suppose when you look at the Shannon, you have Ivana Bacic, Alice Mary Higgins, Lynn Ruan, yeah. Eileen Flynn, the first traveller woman who has been, a lot of people have been praising her, she rightly so. And then I suppose for my national one, who's kind of a standout, is actually Jennifer Whitmore of the Social Democrats. She's just very practical and she comes across, she comes across very well. You know, newly elected, but she was a county councillor for Wicklow. And I think she is, she's very policy driven. And I just think that she is one to watch for down the line. And I think she's very measured, I would say. And I think that's what a lot of people look for in their politicians. And I would say... She's definitely one to watch in terms of in national politics anyway. And it's so it's great seeing a newly elected TZ coming on. Like she is making an impact and, you know, the next generation of women in politics, which is just amazing. So uh, for my international woman, again, someone that maybe people are familiar with or not, if you were following the Senate race in Georgia there a couple of months ago that really decided the split of the senate and made it kind of like just gave the democrats the slight edge that was all down to the new voting patterns in georgia that were democratic leading and that was down to the work of stacy abrams who just for years and years and years was on the grind on was in georgia she was building that base encouraging people to vote encouraging marginalized communities that might not have the access to the voting stations and there's so many tales of voter suppression in america she was actively combating them and she just with the work that she did just not even for you know the senate um, and like that turnout but just the switch of people's thinking about politics thinking that you know they don't matter that they don't make a difference that they can amazing and and she's just she's just an absolute queen if you haven't ever heard her speak i would highly recommend that you listen to any youtube interview of her she's fantastic it's just so interesting as well to look at someone like stacey abrams you know she lost the georgia election race and rather than allowing this to you know wallow in self-pity or whatever she actually used that and like you said she used it for change and completely changed the face of amazing and again like she lost that um the georgia governorship under some controversy of perhaps voter suppression and, you know, ballots being lost and stuff, very similar to the tantrums that Donald Trump does be throwing now in the past few months. But she used that, she turned that situation into such a positive, which is so difficult. And she just really has made such a lasting impact on Georgia's political landscape. And she's just absolutely fantastic. Um, Neve, who would your person be? Mine is also um, a politician from uh, America and she is the newly elected representative for Missouri, which is Cori Bush. Cori Bush is the first black woman congresswoman from uh, Missouri, which is great to be breaking down that barrier. And I just feel 
you know, her first few days in office in office was dealt with the insurrection on January 6th. And she has been very prominent in making sure that those who were responsible pay for it, including in elected officials who fueled the conspiracy theories. Mm-hmm. Which, as a new congresswoman, is such a difficult thing to do to stand up and kind of confront your fellow colleagues in the chamber and hold them accountable for that, which is just incredibly incredible for her to do She's that. just come in and she's made her mark already within a few short months. She's also a registered nurse as well, which is incredibly important to you know and being a congresswoman during a pandemic so I suppose she will bring a different perspective that maybe other represent other US representatives of Congress and as well of the Senate who have maybe not worked in the medical in the medical field or have not worked in it for a number of years she knows what those nurses and doctors are dealing on the ground so I just think she is one to watch and I think you know she has joined the what people while people Referred to as the squad in America of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib and Ayanna Presley. And she's one of the, um, Cory Bush is one of the other few newly elected Congress, uh, Congress people who are joining that. And I think she is just going to be a very big voice within the Democratic Party, a young voice, a woman's voice. And I think she, she is going to be one to watch and I think she's been so far it's been very impressive i love it and i i love the spread of just like women there you know that are from different levels of like governing and just like again like how you don't necessarily need to be an elected official to be making your mark on politics and it's just all about you know not feeling just because you're a woman that number one you don't know about politics and it's not for you that like if you're interested in it if it's something that you're passionate about like girl you go get it you are more than capable like we can't be letting the male pale and stale keep going on that this is really there's so many amazing women out there already doing their bit there's so many more amazing women to come and there's so many more amazing people of all different races sexual orientations gender identities coming down the line and I'm just so hopeful that we're going to get those structures in place that it's going to just make all those people shine in the best in the way that they're meant to it is kind of when we see more women getting involved in politics and not just white women but women of color i think we're seeing our political bodies becoming across the world are becoming more representative obviously there's still a lot to do there's still a long way to go huge amount to work but i suppose on international women's day on the day that that's in it we can only have hope for what's coming down the line and there are some brilliant women uh in ireland who are striving for that brilliant women across across the world so i think for this International Women's Day, while it might not seem like it, I think there is some hope to be left with. We love it. And if you guys have like any women that you think people should know about, women in politics, if it's like your own local level, if it's international, we'd love to hear from you. You can tweet us at The Polling Pod on Twitter. DM us on Instagram at The Polling Pod on Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. And don't forget to give us like a follow, a like on there. Obviously love to hear from you guys. And yeah, that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Until next week. Bye. Bye.